This message completes an expository preaching series through John chapter 17. If this series has helped you grow in your faith or has led you to obey the Lord somehow, I would love to hear from you. You may contact me directly by visiting pastorchristopher.com. In this text, at the conclusion of this prayer, Jesus makes a gracious request related to his presence. While we are familiar with Jesus' promise to be present with us always, here Jesus prays the opposite. Not that he be present with us, but rather that we might be present with him to see his glory and know the eternal love of the Father. Let's listen to the conclusion of this prayer as Jesus unites his will, his knowledge, and his obedience in prayer to his Father. This message preaches from John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. It concludes a preaching series through John chapter 17. He said, Father. The title of this sermon, With Me Where I Am. Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Having heard the conclusion of Jesus' prayer, we might think of all the various things Jesus could have prayed for his disciples, but did not. Jesus could have prayed for his disciples to have abundant possessions, but he did not. Instead, he told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Peter even reminded Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus could have prayed for his disciples to have wealth, but he did not. Instead, he taught them how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and how difficult it is. Peter would later say, I have no silver or gold. Jesus could have prayed for his disciples to have honor, but he did not. Instead, he taught them, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus could have prayed to end the lives of all who hate his disciples, their enemies, but he did not. Instead, he taught them, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus could have prayed that his disciples would have a long life on earth. But instead, Jesus would tell them, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Having heard the conclusion of Jesus' prayer, we might think of all the various things Jesus could have prayed for his disciples, but did not. We might even rehearse all that Jesus did pray for his disciples. He prayed to his Father on their behalf to keep them in your name that they may be one, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do not take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth, that they may all be one, perfectly one. Having heard the conclusion of Jesus' prayer, we might think of all the various things Jesus could have prayed for his disciples, but did not. We might even rehearse all that Jesus did pray for his disciples, but instead, we are left to give our attention to this last prayer of Jesus, one of the most unworthy, undeserving, unfathomable, unimaginable prayers of Jesus for us, his disciples, both then and now. Jesus prays, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That they may be with me where I am. This is a gracious prayer. Jesus wants us to be with him. Why? What do we have to offer him in return? We have nothing to offer him. What will Jesus gain by us? Jesus gains nothing by us. He doesn't need anything that we have. Nothing we have done or will do adds or takes away from who Jesus is. Jesus is not lacking in any part of his being, his character, or his person without us. He is not dependent upon us for anything. We as the church in America have to be especially careful because of America's standing in the world. We have reason to believe in many ways that the world is held together by our great country. And that if our great country goes away, that the world would fall apart. And we take that and we impose that into the church and on Christianity, and we convince ourselves all so subtly that God is held together by us. And that without us, God falls apart. God is not held together by us. God does not fall apart without us. If we had never existed, God would be no less God no less glorious, not one bit less. Jesus, the word, the Bible tells us, was 
with God in the beginning, existing in eternity before we were created with the glory that he gave up and praise will be restored. A glory that existed before us and exists after us regardless of us. If we did not exist, God would still be the same for the word tells us he is unchanging. The world does not revolve around us. God does not need us or gain anything by us. God is just as glorious without us as he is with us. We have nothing to offer God. And this is because we are born in sin, born opposing God, working against God. The psalmist says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Colossians 1.21. We are a natural people, fleshly, carnally minded, foolish and worldly. We are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we walk following the course of this world. We are sons of disobedience, children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We're liars, thieves, idolaters, adulterers, blasphemers, murderers. We are enemies of God in sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. And knowing this, do we think that God looked at us and saw something good in us, a spark, a possibility, something redeemable, something inherently good? And the scriptures tell us, no, not at all, no way. Hear the word of the Lord for all under sin, Romans chapter three, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God looked at us. He saw nothing good in us. And these things have been true of every one of us in sin, all of us. Yet Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. What explanation is there for this? That God, even the Son of God, desires to be with us, knowing full well what we are capable of, what we were, and what we have done. Why does God want us? Why does Jesus will this for us? And the answer 
is love. God's love, God's gracious love, a love that we in no way deserve and never have deserved and will never deserve. A love that describes the very being of God. God is love and God does love and God acts in love. Love that holds nothing back from saving and redeeming with the most precious sacrifice, such an undeserving and hostile wretch like me, like you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want to ask us all, what are we looking forward to? This prayer concludes with a future look, looking ahead. Jesus is looking forward in this prayer. So what are we looking forward to? Jesus is asking for something that is contingent upon future developments, that they may be with me where I am. That comes at a cost, as we've seen a very high cost. Jesus is about to die. And through his death, he is going to transform these wretched sinners into saints. Through his death, through his sacrificial death, he is going to make a way for the most wretched of sinners to be forgiven of sin. He's going to save them. He's going to buy them back. He's going to wash them. He's going to sanctify them. He's going to make them into a new creation. He's going to clothe them in righteousness, clothing their nakedness with righteousness. It's not their own, but his own, so that they might be with me where I am. That's what Jesus wants as he looks ahead. He sees through the torment of the cross to this end, for his Father's glory. What do we look forward to? Someone will say, I look forward to heaven. Well, what about heaven are you looking forward to? Someone will say, I look forward to resting from my labors. What about that rest is attractive to you? What are you resting in? Someone will say, I look forward to no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. But why? To what end? Someone will say, I look forward to seeing my loved ones again. Who do you love? Why do you love them? Someone will say, I believe in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'll be with him. This message isn't for me. It's for someone else. But let me ask you who say that, why are you going to heaven? Why are you going to be with Jesus? For what purpose? If you get this answer wrong, you might not be heading toward heaven like you think you are. My son says to me, Dad, I like spending time with you. I like being with you. When is our next man day together? I'm going where you go. I'm doing what you do. 
I love you, Dad. This text exhorts every one of us as the church of Jesus Christ. And it even invites the outsiders and the unbelievers to not only think about what we look forward to, but to also examine whether or not we want what Jesus wants, whether we desire what Jesus desires, whether we will for what Jesus wills for, which comes down to love. In the concluding verses of his prayer, Jesus prays about his will, his knowledge, and his obedience. His will, that's his heart. His knowledge, that's his mind. His obedience, that's his actions. All three of these church, the heart, the mind, and the actions must converge. They must meet together in agreement if our prayers are to be effective. How many times do we pray for something that we think about, that we know with our minds we should be doing, but then we do nothing about it? We have knowledge, but no obedience. We have mind, but no action. James chapter four, verse 17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. How many people know the right thing to do about believing in Jesus and put it off, failing to do it? I'll do it another day. That's sin in God's eyes. And God doesn't answer our prayers when we know what to do but don't obey. How often do we pray for something that we are passionate about, yet we invest no time into learning about it? Those that are married, you may love your spouse and be passionate for them, but if you don't know your spouse, what they love, their idiosyncrasies, their quirks, the things they like to do, if you don't know them, your marriage will turn out to be a disaster. We often have will, but not knowledge. Listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah 4.22. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good, they know not. You see, church, God has revealed truth to us he does not answer our prayers when we rush to act without appropriating the knowledge he has first given to us. God won't support us when we attempt to obey our own way. One more, how many times do we pray about something we are doing because God says to do it, but our heart is not in it? We do it begrudgingly, without the right motives, I'll give to the poor because, well, I, I'm supposed to. Maybe I'll get a tax deduction for my contribution. I'll go to church because I'm supposed to. Maybe there'll be a minister to perform my funeral when I die. We have obedience, but not the will. Something's wrong in the deepest part, in the heart. James says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And we've already seen what those passions are in sin. There's a heart problem. Jesus said, you hypocrites, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus reveals his will, his knowledge, and his obedience, all three at the end of this prayer. And because of this, we know it is a prayer. God the Father answers with a yes and amen. First, Jesus says, I will. This is Jesus's desire, what he wants. This is his heart. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants his disciples to be present with him. We know Jesus' promise to be present with his disciples always. He said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that Jesus is present with his disciples with us through his Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the Holy Spirit, the permanent presence of God with the child of God, the believer, dwelling within our hearts through faith, Ephesians 3.17. Christ is in you who believe through the Holy Spirit and is always present with you. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. But don't miss, in all of that, the beauty of this prayer, that while Jesus promises to be present with us who believe, Jesus also prays for us to be present with him. He's not praying about our presence with him on earth. Our time on earth will come to an end. It is appointed for man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Our bodies will die and be buried in the grave, and then what will be of Jesus' presence with us? Will Jesus be present with us in the grave? He's not in the grave. He was raised from the grave. He's not there, he's not going back. Jesus desires our presence with him in glory. That's where he is, and that is where we will be when our bodies die and we're found in Christ for all who are born again unto eternal life. Verse 24 again, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us to see the glory that he prays for when he prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus wants us to see with our eyes what we see now only by faith. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When with him in glory, 
we will all experience him in all his glory, the glory of his Father, full of grace and truth. It will be like what we have come to know on earth, but it will be unlike anything we have ever known before. Jesus prays for that, and he wants us to see his glory so that we might know his Father's eternal love. Verse 24 again, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We know a bit about the love of God right now. The love that gave Jesus for our salvation. The love of sacrifice through the cross. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that love. We can see that love that God showed us on Calvary. But what we don't yet know and what we can't yet comprehend and what Jesus wants us to see is how God the Father so loved before we were even created, how unconditional his love is. We only see but a glimpse of the love of God and Jesus wants us to see it fully and to know it fully. And the only way for us to experience that love is to be with me where I am, Jesus says. To be with Jesus where he is. But while Jesus wants this and wills for this and desires for this, he also knows something about what is required for this to happen. He says, I know. He's not praying with will only, but also with knowledge. Jesus knows the unrighteousness of humanity and the incompatibility of whatever our righteousness is with his Father's righteousness because of our sin. Jesus prays with knowledge, his heart and his head. Look with me at verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Here, Jesus addresses his Father in a new way. He has called him Father in this prayer. He has even called him Holy Father in this prayer. And now he calls him Righteous Father. Oh, Righteous Father. The word righteous here means that Jesus knows what his Father requires. He knows his Father will do what is right, what is just. And he knows that his Father is different from the world. His righteousness is different from the righteousness of the world. Notice how immediately after addressing his Father as righteous, Jesus then speaks of the world as if to contrast the world and his Father. The world does not know you. I know you. The righteousness of God is made available to the unbelieving, unrighteous world through only one way and one knowledge, and it is the knowledge of Christ Jesus, the righteous one. Knowledge of God is only revealed and acquired through Jesus, God's gift to the world. 
And this is why Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The righteous Father is only known through Jesus Christ, sent by the Father. Jesus is God's only provision for our righteousness. And this is why Jesus says in verse 25 again, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. These, these disciples, these followers whom you have given to me, know that you have sent me. Knowledge of Christ being sent by the Father is required for all of us who would follow Jesus. This is why if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, something only God could do, you'll be saved. This is why God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him a name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus reveals his will with me where I am, his knowledge. I know you, O righteous Father. And Jesus also makes known his obedience, his ongoing mission. I make known. This is Jesus' obedience, the heart, the mind, and the feet. Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus knew that he would be beaten. He would be crushed. He would be killed. Yet he went to the cross anyway. He pressed on obediently anyway because it wasn't just his will, but it was his father's sovereign will. Nothing, no nothing would deter him from fulfilling his father's will, to make known his father's name to the world, to reveal his father's love to the world, and by his Holy Spirit to indwell those called out of the world with his own love so that they might see his glory and know the eternal love of God as they are with him. This brings us to the Christ conclusion. For this text exhorts us as the church to not only think about what we look forward to, but this text also invites us to align what we want, our desires, our wills, with what Jesus wants, so that they are the same as we look ahead. And this is something that only Christ can do in us by giving us a new heart shaping it after his will. Notice that when Jesus speaks, he speaks in a way that lets us know we're not alone. Jesus makes known his love in them, plural, I in them. He's speaking of all the disciples across all of time. He's speaking of his church. And of his church, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail. It is built on the rock of this confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
This is not revealed to us by flesh and blood, but only by the Father who is in heaven. Is the Father revealing Jesus to you? Have you found the answer to whatever it is you're looking forward to? The scriptures give us an answer. Jesus, to be with him forevermore. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.